I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. And today we've got Jim Spencer with us. He's executive director of the Bluefield West Virginia Economic Development Organization. So, Jim, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. So, first of all, tell these folks what part of West Virginia that is. That panhandle up there always confuses me. I never know what part of West Virginia I'm talking to. So, tell these folks where you're located. We are the southern gateway to West Virginia. We're the southernmost city. So if you're coming north on Interstate 77, and as soon as you come through the tunnel, that's the break between Virginia and West Virginia, you're in Bluefield. So we are the southernmost city in West Virginia. Awesome. Well, I know y'all are doing a lot of great things up there, redeveloping your economy, but you recently landed an Intuit Success Center. And that one really, to me, beats the odds and puts you on a major league scale. So why don't we start with your big one, and then we'll work our way back into kind of what all y'all are doing to make some of those things happen. We took a three-pronged approach to economic development. So, you know, number one, when I came, I'm a retired county administrator from Virginia. So I was courted to come over and create an economic development department in 2015 took a three-pronged approach. Number one, we had to stop the bleeding. You know, we were losing businesses being in a coal field region. What can we do to help existing business? Number two was entrepreneurship and innovation. And number three was attract new industry. And so March 19, 2019, when the Intuit team came to Bluefield to make their announcement that they were going to do a prosperity hub in Bluefield, they've already had one in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, Wise, Virginia. Now, since then, they've done other projects in, I think, Hazard, Kentucky, Morristown, Tennessee, the center is operated by Lorca. That's the partner and the building's built and it's got 362 workstations. So if you have a question on QuickBooks or Mint, you may be talking to somebody in Bluefield for tech support. Well, I have lots of questions on QuickBooks. I do our books for our <laughs> little company. So have they retrained coal miners into doing those jobs? Who's the labor they're finding? You know, some of the labor force was potentially those folks. As a matter of fact, it was one young lady. One of the first hires was a lady working in HR. And when I met her, she was from McDowell County, which is a very distressed area. You know, they were over 100,000 people years ago when the mining was big and then now it's down and they're probably under 20,000. And she told me a story that before 
the Intuit announcement, she was afraid she was going to have to leave the area because she lost her job working in the mines. And, you know, this was a godsend to her that she can stay in this area. So some came from the coal industry, some from other sectors. You know, this job's not for everybody because, you know, they are doing tech support and things like that. So, you know, trying to find the right niche. And right now, because of COVID, you know, they're working remotely. And uh, last I heard, they have 250 people working remotely in the Bluefield area. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, see, I think your part of the country has labor when a lot of the rest of the country struggles with that. You know, the big question in most areas is, can I find the workers? I've got a good friend does economic development up there in East Kentucky, and y'all have the workers. It's just a matter of retraining them into other jobs. But those coal miners, they're used to working in a very safe environment. I mean, so they transition and they're hardworking people. They transition a lot of things. So talk about some of the stuff y'all are doing, non that project related, just to drum up and spur activity. Well, like I said, we started with a three-prong approach, and I grew up in this region, 35 miles away, went to college at Bluefield State College a long time ago, knew the area very well. Some of the first things I did when I come out of retirement was to do an inventory of assets. What do we have? You know, there was a temptation for a lot of the folks in Bluefield to, well, we want to be Asheville. We want to become this community, that community. And I said, no, let's build on our strengths, not on somebody else's strengths. Now, we may get ideas from other communities. But let's build on our own. And if you got a minute, I'll tell you a quick story of something funny that I did. I'd been about a week and I went to a community meeting and I love athletics. Long time ago, I was a decent athlete. So I brought my letterman's jacket from high school to the meeting. And, you know, I was 195 pounds then and now I'm about 275. So I got that jacket out of the bag and I started talking about that jacket and, you know, hadn't taken care of it and I needed to dry clean it. And long story short, I said, I'll never be that athlete again. And I put that jacket on and I said, if I wore this to work every day, what would you say? Finally, somebody in the back said, you're stuck in the past. I said, you're exactly right. I need to honor that history again. I'll never be that athlete again, but I can be even something better now, you know, as I'm gotten older. And I said, Bluefield will never be what it was back in the 40s and 50s. You know, one time Bluefield was called Little New York, where the railroad came through and all that's founded in 1889. Tons of great stories about the history of Bluefield but we're not going to be that community. We had to create a new Bluefield, an economy that was more diverse and with Intuit coming in that helped with that. And then we got into with the innovation entrepreneurship. We have a mixed use incubator that was funded through an EDA power grant, uh, $2,040,000 plus some other local money that went into it. And so now it's a 60,000 square foot mixed use incubator focused in on manufacturing. So we're trying to grow our own. So we remember phase two in the three-prong approach was entrepreneurship and innovation. So we're doing that. We have a small business success center. So right now we've partnered with Santa Clara University. We've got an entrepreneur boot camp. So if Chad, if you were to contact me and say, I'm thinking about starting a business, we can hook you up with free online classes that are taken at your pace, not a typical college class. We have office hours that we're going to support you. And we even have a business expansion model. So if you're interested in franchising or vertical integration or advanced e-commerce, we have modules on that. We have professionals that will help you get across the finish line. You know, studies have shown that 78 percent of startup jobs, you know, companies in the United States will fail. And I think a lot of that failure rate is the lack of preparedness in starting a business. And I use an example here. You could be the world's best plumber, bar none, none better in the world. And you could still fail because there's a lot of other things that go into successfully operating a business. So what we try to do is we try to be the train of wheels for the business to prop them up so that they are ready to succeed. All right. And what's the third prong? You went through the first two. All right. The first one, we talked about business retention. You know, we were losing a lot of businesses in the area. 
And so some of the things that we've done as the city before then never did Small Business Saturday, which is a program through American Express. So we started with programs like that. We do training to support existing business. So not only are we training entrepreneurs, we've got training classes for existing business. For example, last year, and we're going to do it again March 10th, Instagram 101 for business. I love Instagram. And if you're a restaurant or you know, manufacture some neat art things. Instagram is a great platform for getting it out there. So we've tried to help our businesses through training programs and how to do a better job in marketing the story. I learned a long time ago, and I've been in local government for 30 some years. If you don't tell your story, somebody else will, and you probably won't like how they tell it. And the same goes for business storytelling. A lot of businesses, and I can name numerous, they are very humble people. And, you know, that's fine. And that's great to be humble. But they also, their businesses like the baby. They have to brag about the baby. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our businesses were weak in their marketing. So we've tried to step in and help them through training programs, suggestions, reviewing their website, social media platform, training, things like that. And then Small Business Saturday was just one example of how we partner with them. We do a marketing co-op. We'll pay for half of the marketing for that Small Business Saturday if the businesses chip in the money. So last year we were on the full page ad in the local paper, TV ads, 75 radio spots each for each business. They paid $68 each and my budget paid the rest of it. Wow. So we partner with them to try to make them successful because we're all in this together. And too many localities, the only time they support a business is when they send them a tax ticket once or twice a year. We want to do more than that. Yeah, this is gold right here. So for our economic developers listening, you can get a lot out of this. And I think especially now that the pandemic's come along, businesses are going to have to even learn more with Instagram and all. So the fact that you're training them on that, I think is very smart. And I went through your annual report and in it, you talk about growing y'all's social media side of it. And so I'm going to pick on you a little because you're not one of our younger guests. So, I mean, (laughs) my point is a lot of times the older economic developers, and you're not that old, but a lot of times economic developers over, say, 50, they really struggle embracing the whole social media. So what got you into really believing in it and what got you, you know, really understanding that's something that y'all needed to do and train your entrepreneurs on? Probably 15, 20 years ago, I had a gentleman that was my right hand that was just brilliant in technology. And I learned a lot from him. And I realized that when you're in economic development and you're meeting with a company that wants to talk about broadband and other things, you've got to be very diverse in your skills. So started understanding the power of marketing. And then now I've been blessed that since I've been in Bluefield, they've gave me support staff and I've had some that were been with me as interns. Matter of fact, I had one young man from New Zealand that was a Bluefield State student and worked for me for a while afterwards. And I've got two young ladies right now, extremely talented So what gaps that I have and don't understand, I have partnered with the younger generation to teach me what I need to do. Now, personally, I like Instagram better than Facebook, personally, LinkedIn, things like there's a lot of different platforms. And I think it needs to be based off of, you know, what the business needs are. But having young people that are half my age, I'm old enough to be their dad to teach me some of those things. And I don't care how long you've been in the profession of economic development, you can learn every day. Yeah. And along technology, y'all want a point of presence grant. And I'm not smart enough to know what it is. So I want you to explain it. But y'all receive funding from a foundation for a point of presence grant to locate it at your exit one site. And I know that's going to be an interconnection hub for internet service providers. I'm a rural boy from Mississippi. I don't even understand all of that, but I know it's a big deal. So talk about, you know, what that's going to do for y'all. Actually, it's even bigger than that. As soon as you come through the tunnel and get off at exit one off Interstate 77, We've got about 80 acres, of which 12 acres were going to be under construction, hopefully in a few months. 
we received a million dollar EDA grant to help develop pads for that, you know, flat space to where business can build. And it's been matched by some local foundations and all that. The grant for the pop is icing on the cake. Right now we're going to have backhaul coming in from basically point broadband or another provider. And then we can work with local ISPs that can push the broadband out because companies, you know, they want to know it's affordability and reliability. And so this is a good news story for us. There's probably not too many sites like it off the interstate that has a pop on site. So if you need extreme, you know, bandwidth, we will have that capability. So we're bundling the technology with a development we're getting ready to break ground on. Now, you mentioned your incubator a little earlier, but y'all have got a focus in that incubator on manufacturing, isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Talk we about do. that. And I mean, that's a 60,000. It's a big incubator. Our listeners may hear that and picture a 5,000 old retail space. So talk about that and the fact that you're really focused on manufacturing with it. That building was built in 1928 by the railroad and it was an old freight station. So it's built like an L, a long L. And back in the day, freight was coming in and going out, things like that. And it's built like a bunker, 17 foot high ceilings and laid out just, you know, huge space. So when I came in, I told you I did an inventory of assets and we looked at that space and I went back to the city. I said, we got a couple options. Number one is do nothing, which is typically what a lot of times government does. And I'm picking that government because I've been around for a long time. That's not a viable option. Number two is you've tried to sell it. You're probably not going to get nothing of what it's worth. And number three, I said, let's go after funding to create a manufacturing incubator. Now there's some that told me, that said, oh, it's going to be hard to create a manufacturing incubator. But if you go back, we had a strong manufacturing presence, especially with the coal industry and folks that's had to diversify and things like that. There was a lot of mom and pop operations that were supporting the coal industry. And now they just need to transfer into a different product line. So that was funded in 2016. Fast forward to 2018, we opened it up. Right now we have six bays. Basically we're full. And Hopefully, Lord willing, we'll be signing a lease with a company out of Florida that's doing a startup in West Virginia this month. And so we focused on that. We've tried to have support mechanism for that mentoring, typical programs like an incubator has, but we're focusing on manufacturing. One consultant told me that you're going to struggle. And I said, all right, let's think about this. Why do you do a retail incubator? That's probably to grow retail where it doesn't exist. So why not make a manufacturing incubator, working with your existing manufacturers and grow that base? And we've done well with that. And our goal is to, just like a typical incubator, is to graduate them and move them on. We do have FedEx as an anchor tenant there that helps, you know, with a lot of things as far as shipping and all that. Plus, it gives us an anchor mainstay tenant. And the others are our incubator type tenants. We also have a makerspace there. So let's say that you want to start your own business using a Glowforge or CNC or digital printers, things like that. We have those there. And there's been some companies that have started up small mom and pop out of the makerspace. Matter of fact, I'm a member there and make wooden nickels. If you remember back in the day when you have small wooden nickels, the folks on the radio can't see it, but I'm showing you one that I made and it's a Tuit, T-U-I-T. And when I was a kid, my granddad gave me a wooden nickel that had those letters on it because I had all these ideas of things I wanted to do. And he said, son, here's your own round to it. So now you can get to it. So we use it a little bit in our marketing. How can we help you? What's your hurdles? What's your obstacles? What gaps can we fill to make you successful? Yeah. And then you landed into it. So yeah, that all, that all worked out. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got basically six bays of 10,000 square feet. Is that what you did? One of them is a little bit bigger than that. On the average, they're eight to 10,000 square feet just by one has a loading dock and just the way it's laid out. But on average, they're eight to 10,000 square feet. So 
going well. And, you know, a lot of times when you're a startup, there's all kinds of questions. They need support. One of them, I'll give you an example. He'd worked in the gas industry and that industry has sort of moved away from our area. So he had to recreate his business and, you know, being in the gas industry, he didn't have to market. So now that he's Bluefield Metal Art, he's got to market to the general public. He can do anything with a, he's got a water jet and a lot of equipment like that. So the two young ladies that work with me, Savannah and Faith, set him down, helped him get set up with Instagram and a social media marketing to help him market himself. Because in the past, he didn't have to market. He was already doing as much as he could do for gas companies. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what's sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other bills and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com book yourself a demo and see if this can help your community have more success well folks if you ever wonder what an economic developer does and their value you're hearing it right now i mean this is an area that's not going to grow without smart creative things and obviously you're doing it but i want to know how in the world did y'all get hooked up with santa clara university how did a small town in west virginia get hooked up with a California big time university. I'm an opportunist. I'm always looking for opportunities for the locality that I've worked for. I grew up, my dad was a mayor of a one dog town and a one dog town is one of those small that, you know, you don't have one dog and everybody shares, you know, and I've seen the need for small communities. So a lot of times you've got to have creative solutions. So it's reaching out for different partnerships. We also partner with mentor boost out of California. They did some personal finance training free for us. Chris Holbrook does a great job. And so we're always looking for new partners that we can add to bring something to the table. And Santa Clara University and their Mind Business Institute is phenomenal. They do an outstanding job. They got great content. And it was really what we needed to do an entrepreneur's boot camp. I wanted, before COVID, to have an entrepreneur's boot camp where you'd have like a weekend session. Last thing you want to do is for the average age of an entrepreneur in the United States is 40, is tell them to go to college. You know, they probably done that route. We need something that's a fast track. And so that's why I wanted the boot camp. And so we partnered with Santa Clara University. And we're able to do that. A lot of people ask us, what's the right structure for Economic? We do executive searches and we'll see city employees, chambers of commerce, public-private partnerships. So it looks like you've been there for a while, but in 2019, the city actually formed a new organization. Is that right? So why don't you talk through that and maybe even give advice to folks out there on what you've learned is maybe the best way to set these things up. Well, when I retired in Virginia as a county administrator and worked in economic development and all that, county administrators in Virginia are involved in everything from public safety to funding the school system and all kinds of things. And to be honest, I was tired of working in local government and got to the age that I could retire. And so the mayor of Bluefield then was a gentleman named Tom Cole that courted me to 
come to Bluefield, not to do what the city manager does, but to create an economic development department. And so we started in on the three-pronged approach we talked about, and we've got some success. And we got to the point that we needed to stand up an economic development authority because there's certain powers that an EDA has in West Virginia that the city did not. So you need to look at whatever locality they're in. What is the best opportunity to do the projects you want to do? You know, for example, if the city is going to surplus and sell an old police car, they've got to go through public auction and things like that. So you need to look at for what you're trying to accomplish, what's the best mechanism to get there. And for us, it was forming an economic development authority. And the city wanted to take their destiny in their own hands when they hired me in 2015 to sort of, you know, make a change. Let's aggressively go after things. And we was talking earlier about our exit one project. We're in an opportunity zone and in the exit one property. And one of the things that a lot of localities are not doing is putting your best foot forward with information on the opportunity zone. So we had a prospectus out two years ago in the opportunity zone. We've actually hosted training with Ashley Tyson with OZ Pros, three long sessions on opportunity zones and how to take advantage of it. And we're seeing fruit for that labor. Sometimes you got to plant that seed and you're not going to harvest the next day. And that's one of the things that Tom Cole said when he hired me, he was mayor. We didn't get in this mess overnight and we're not getting out overnight. So one advice to folks, young folks coming to economic development is you're going to be patient a little bit. Mm. I mean, it took us a few years to get to where we were ready and prepared to land a company like Intuit to even court a company like that. But now we're taking advantage of that. We've even had meetings on what I call the Intuit effect. We're looking at how we can take advantage of them being in our city to attract other industries and things like that because success begets success. Now, did they locate in your downtown area or what part of town did they? I know COVID is probably hard with restaurants and all, but I would think 200 folks coming down there and maybe they're working from home right now, but that'll probably spur some development around it. It has. And even during COVID, what's interesting is I think with all the support that we've tried to support with our businesses, for example, anything I found out that was relative about the PPP program or IDLE or any of that, I pushed it out to businesses. I'm going to try to be on a first name basis with every business in our area. And so we tried to support them doing that. But even during COVID, we had a net gain of new businesses in the city. We opened up about seven or eight businesses within a matter of 60 to 90 days. And so West Virginia being a smaller state was not as negatively impacted as some communities. You know, we're a small city of around 10,000 people. Regionally, you know, there's a lot bigger in population, but, you know, we had a net gain of businesses. And a lot of that was building off the hope that came from Intuit, you know, investing in Bluefield. And they've been a phenomenal, I can't say enough great things about Intuit. They've been a phenomenal company. No wonder they're as strong as they are. They've been very supportive of the community, not only here, but the other Prosperity Hub community. So we're blessed again to have them. And I love to hear that those customer service jobs are back in the U.S. because I hate nothing worse. My best story ever is I bought a new car and it had Sirius XM radio in it. And I called to try to get it turned on because the Saints were playing a playoff game and I'm a big Saints fan. And I called and I got somebody overseas and they told me that I had free Sirius radio but in my new car for three months. And I was like, no, but I need a Sirius XM. The game's on the XM side. I'm willing to give you my credit card. Sign me up. I'm trying to give you money. I ain't calling a complaint. No, we can't take your money. We can't take your money. So I have lots of QuickBooks problems. So I'm tickled to know now I'll be talking to folks in Bluefield, West Virginia, instead of somebody overseas that don't understand what I'm talking about. One thing interests me with y'all's story, a lot of rural towns are struggling in healthcare. And, you know, trying to come up with ways either to save their hospital or spur health care clinics. And y'all have actually done that. You had a federally qualified health center. 
announced they were coming to your area late last year. So talk about how you did that. There was two hospitals in Mercer County, West Virginia, Princeton Community and Bluefield Regional. And Princeton actually bought Bluefield Regional before COVID and it ended up they had to shut it down other than the ER. So realizing that healthcare is extremely important. Matter of fact, I have a daughter that you know needs special medical attention. So I understand it firsthand. She goes to Johns Hopkins. So I know what quality medical care looks like. So we started looking at how we could, you know, correct that. So we partnered with Bluestone Health Association. We, our Economic Development Authority, acquired a building from the city in the downtown, and we worked a project with them to where they are renovating that 15,000 square foot building that is a historic building, and it will be open hopefully this June with a federal qualified health clinic. And actually, it's within 100 yards of where Intuit and Alorica will be, which enhances the downtown, and that's going to draw more people into downtown. You know, when you start thinking about placemaking and other things, trying to draw people into your downtown, jobs and healthcare are two good ways to pull people into your downtown. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. In June of 2020, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, and we already have more than 100 economic developers as part of our movement. The movement was really built to help improve the quality of lives of economic developers. It helps economic developers land more deals, helps them get along better with their board and elected officials, helps them deal with the media, even helps them learn how to build their resume if they want to look for a new job. So thank you to our first 100 members, and if you want to join the movement, go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more let's get a little more into your personal story then so you were a county manager on the virginia side what made you decide to get into economic development what got you to cross that state line my background is civil engineering i went to bluefield state a long time ago and started off being over the public service authority and then evolved into being that and the county administrator and then working in economic development and of all the professions i've been around in local government. Economic development is the hardest one, bar none. And I love athletics. I'm very competitive. If you beat me in checkers, you better pack your lunch because I'm going to get you sooner or later. And I love the competitiveness of economic development because creating something from nothing with this department and other things like that was a challenge. And we face challenges every day with the economy and with COVID and things like that. So just sort of migrated to economic development, but having a background in engineering is beneficial because you know, when you start talking about infrastructure to sites and things like that. So it just, that's what my passion is now, you know, working with the next generation of entrepreneurs and trying to leave a, you know, I'm at the end of my career, leave a legacy of impact in other people's lives, either for the young people that I've had the privilege of working with that are now going on doing other things, working for other communities or whatever they're doing is having an impact on other people's lives is what has been a challenge for me. And like I said, my dad was mayor of that little one dog town and I grew up around that understanding the importance of public service. Well, I like to ask people when they were 10 or 11 years old, what do you want to be and see how similar that ends up being to the skills it takes to be a good economic developer. So what do you want to be when you were running around when you were 10 or 11? Well, it wasn't anything in government because my dad being a small town like that, if they had a water leak, he was dragging me to go help him do this and that. So at that time and <laughs> age, I wanted no part of that. But then I started paying more attention and realized the lives that you can impact. I remember this has been 20 some years ago. It was a community called Falls Mills and they didn't have drinking water. I mean, it was one lady there, for example, her well was so low on yield. She had a wash machine to wash her clothes, but never could use it because never had enough water to fill it up. And she was up in her eighties. And she told me, she said, call me Mr. Spencer. 
He said, Mr. Spencer, when I get that public water to my house, I'm going to dance a jig on my porch. And when we connected her up, she didn't dance a jig. It's more of a shuffle because she's up in her eighties. <laughs> but that's one of the things that stuck in my mind is giving back and helping others. And one of the best things I think we can give somebody is opportunity to succeed. And so right now, you know, it's something we can do to help somebody start a business. We're going to bend over backwards. And I just was raised that way. Now there is a fundamental difference between somebody's hobby and starting a business. If you're in economic development, I give them homework real quick to find out if they're serious or it's a hobby. If it's a hobby, that's their personal problem. They can go and do something with that. You know, I don't have time for that. But I think, you know, just realizing the impact that my dad had, and I still, I'm blessed to have him today. And so I'll reach out to him and bounce ideas and questions off of him even today. Well, Jim, as we wind down, uh, give these folks your website in case they want to learn more about what y'all are doing. It's www.mybluefield.org. And the reason that I picked my Bluefield. I think when you take ownership of your community and wherever your community is, hey, this is my town, this is my city, you're going to do a better job. You're going to take pride in your community. And that's one of the biggest things that I realized is right after the Intuit announcement was made, the sun seemed brighter in Bluefield the next day. And there was hope. So when you start taking ownership of your community, you'll be better off, in my opinion. So it's mybluefield.org. We've got Opportunity Zone prospectus there, other information. And we're actually in the process of updating that website. So what they see today hopefully will change in the next little bit. But there's a lot of information out there, resources and things that we use. And I'll be honest with you, I don't mind helping people. My email address is jspencer, J-S-P-E-N-C-E-R, at bluewv, B-L-U-E-W-V.org. And so if anybody's got any ideas, questions, suggestions, comments, feedback, I'd love to hear from them. Well, folks, I hope y'all are getting inspired by this. And I don't want to hear any other excuses about not wanting to learn Instagram since Jim's made it such a big part of, of what they are doing. So, Jim, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners that I might not have asked you? No, like I said, I'm at the end of my career. And I think, you know, we need leaders stepping up in communities, young people that are interested in serving their community. This is public service. One of the things that I use in a presentation I do is I coached a travel baseball team and I had 10 of the best players in the area that went to different schools. And I preach to those young men, it's about the goal, not the role. And if you're going to be a successful team, you've got to function and focus on your goal, not the individual role that people play. And too many people get caught up in the role versus the goal. That's a great way to leave it. Jim, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Thank you very much. Glad to have you.